Section 17 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Dorr. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 17. Arrival from Maryland, Virginia, and the District of Columbia. John Wesley Smith, Robert Murray, Susan Stewart, and Josephine Smith. Daniel Hubert was fattening on John Wesley's earnings contrary to his, John's, idea of right. For a long time John failed to see the remedy, but as he grew older and wiser the scales fell from his eyes, and he perceived that the Underground Railroad ran near his master's place, Cambridge, Maryland, and by a very little effort, and a large degree of courage and perseverance, he might manage to get out of Maryland and on to Canada, where slaveholders had no more rights than other people. These reflections came seriously into John's mind at about the age of twenty-six, being about this time threatened with the auction block, he bade slavery good night, jumped into the underground railroad car, and off he hurried for Pennsylvania. His mother, Betsy, one brother, and one sister were left in the hands of Hubert. John Wesley could pray for them, and wish them well, but nothing more. Robert Murray became troubled in mind about his freedom while living in London County, Virginia, under the heel of Eliza Brooks, a widow woman, who used him bad, according to his testimony. He had been knocked about a good deal. A short while before he fled, he stated that he had been beat brutally, so much so that the idea of escape was beat into him. He had never before felt as if he dared hope to try to get out of bondage. But since then, his mind had undergone such a sudden and powerful change, he began to feel that nothing could hold him in Virginia. The place became hateful to him. He looked upon a slaveholder as a kind of living, walking, talking Satan, going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. He left his wife with one child, her name was Nancy Jane, and the name of the offspring was Elizabeth. As Robert had possessed but rare privileges to visit his wife, he felt it less a trial to leave than if it had been otherwise. William Seedham owned the wife and child. Susan Stewart and Josephine Smith fled together from the District of Columbia. Running away had been for a long time a favorite idea with Susan, as she had suffered much at the hands of different masters. The main cause of her flight was to keep from being sold again, for she had been recently threatened by Henry Harley, who followed droving, and not being rich, at any time when he might be in want of money she felt that she might have to go. When a girl only twelve years of age, her young mind strongly revolted against being a slave, and at that youthful period she tried her fortune at running away. While she was never caught by her owners, she had the misfortune to fall into the hands of another slaveholder no better than her old master. Indeed, she thought that she found it even worse under him, so far as severe floggings were concerned. Susan was of a bright brown color, medium size, quick and active intellectually and physically, and although she had suffered much from slavery, as she was not far advanced in years, she might still do something for herself. She left no near kin that she was aware of. Josephine fled from Miss Anna Maria Warren, who had previously been deranged from the effects of paralysis. Josephine regarded this period of her mistress's sickness as her opportunity for planning to get away before her mistress came to her senses. Sundry arrivals from Maryland and Virginia, Henry Fields, Charles Ringgold, William Ringgold, Isaac Newton, and Joseph Thomas. 
Five other cases were attended to by Dillwyn Parrish and J.C. White, other than this no note was made of them. Henry Fields took the benefit of the Underground Railroad at the age of eighteen. He fled from the neighborhood of Port Deposit while being broke in by a man named Washington Glasby, who was wicked enough to claim him as his property, and was also about to sell him. This chattel was of a light yellow complexion, hardy-looking and wide awake. Charles Ringgold took offense at being whipped like a dog, and the prospect of being sold further south, consequently in a high state of mental dread of the peculiar institution, he concluded that freedom was worth suffering for. And although he was as yet under twenty years of age, he determined not to remain in Perrymanville, Maryland, to wear the chains of slavery for the especial benefit of his slaveholding master, whose name was inadvertently omitted. William Ringgold fled from Henry Wallace of Baltimore. A part of the time, William said he had had it pretty rough, and a part of the time kinder smooth, but never had had matters to his satisfaction. Just before deciding to make an adventure on the Underground Railroad, his owner had been talking of selling him. Under the apprehension that this threat would prove no joke, Henry began to study what he had better do to be saved from the jaws of hungry Negro traders. It was not long before he came to the conclusion that he had best strike out upon a venture in a northern direction, and do the best he could to get as far away as possible from the impending danger threatened by Mr. Wallace. After a long and weary travel on foot, by night, he found himself at Columbia, where friends of the Underground Railroad assisted him on to Philadelphia. Here his necessary wants were met, and directions given him how to reach the land of refuge, where he would be out of the way of all slaveholders and slave traders. Six of his brothers had been sold. His mother was still in bondage in Baltimore. Isaac Newton hailed from Richmond, Virginia. He professed to be only thirty years of age, but he seemed to be much older. While he had had an easy time in slavery, he preferred that his master should work for himself, as he felt that it was his bounden duty to look after number one. So he did not hesitate about leaving his situation vacant for anyone who might desire it, whether white or black, but made a successful took-out. Joseph Thomas was doing the work of a so-called master in Prince George's County, Maryland. For some cause or other, the alarm of the auction block was sounded in his ears, which at first distracted him greatly. Upon sober reflection, it worked greatly to his advantage. It set him to thinking seriously on the subject of immediate emancipation, and what a miserable hard lot of it he should have through life if he did not pick up courage and resolution to get beyond the terror of slaveholders. So under these reflections he found his nerves gathering strength, his fears leaving him, and he was ready to venture on the Underground Railroad. He came through without any serious difficulty. He left his father and mother, Shadrick and Lucinda Thomas. Arrival from Seaford, 1859. Robert Bell and two others. Robert came from Seaford, where he had served under Charles Wright, a farmer of considerable means and the owner of a number of slaves over whom he was accustomed to rule with much rigor. Although Robert's master had a wife and five children, the love which Robert bore them was too weak to hold him and well adapted as the system of slavery might be to render him happy in the service of young and old masters, it was insufficient for him. Robert found no rest under Mr. Wright, no privileges, scantily clad, poor food, and a heavy yoke was the policy of this superior. Robert testified that for the last five years matters had been growing worse and worse. The times had never been so bad before. Of nights, under the new regime, the slaves were locked up and not allowed to go anywhere, 
flogging, selling, etc., were of everyday occurrences throughout the neighborhood. Finally, Robert became sick of such treatment, and he found that the spirit of Canada and freedom was uppermost in his heart. Slavery grew blacker and blacker until he resolved to pull up stakes upon a venture. The motion was right and succeeded. Two other passengers were at the station at the same time, but they had to be forwarded without being otherwise noticed on the book. Arrival from Taps Neck, Maryland, 1859. Lewis Wilson, John Waters, Alfred Edwards, and William Quinn. Lewis's gray hairs signified that he had been for many years plodding under the yoke. He was about fifty years of age, well set, not tall, but he had about him the marks of a substantial laborer. He had been brought up on a farm under H. Lynch, whom Lewis described as a mean man when drunk and very severe on his slaves. The number that he ruled over as his property was about twenty. Said Lewis about two years ago, he shot a free man, and the man died about two hours afterwards. For this offense, he was not even imprisoned. Lynch also tried to cut the throat of John Waters, and succeeded in making a frightful gash on his left shoulder, Mark shown, which Mark he will carry with him to the grave. For this he was not even sued. Lewis left five children in bondage, Horace, John, Georgiana, Louisa, and Lewis, Jr., owned by Basil and John Benson. John was forty years of age, dark, medium size, and another of Lynch's articles. He left his wife, Anna, but no children. It was hard to leave her, but he felt that it would be still harder to live and die under the usage that he had experienced on Lynch's farm. Alfred was twenty-two years of age. He was of a full dark color and quite smart. He fled from John Bryant, a farmer. Whether he deserved it or not, Alfred gave him a bad character, at least with regard to the treatment of his slaves. He left his father and mother, six brothers and sisters. Traveling under doubts and fears with the thought of leaving a large family of his nearest and dearest friends was far from being a pleasant undertaking with Alfred, yet he bore up under the trial and arrived in peace. William is twenty-two. Black, tall, intelligent, and active are the words of the record. End of section 17